Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Bergen first down. 26 seconds to go. Long ball. Man is open. It'll go for six. J.J. Burton. J.J. Burton. Touchdown. It's to run 40-yard dashes. Marcus Dash. 40-yard dash. Marcus Dash. 40. Marcus Dash. Marcus Dash. 40-yard dash. Marcus Dash. You run the 40. Marcus Dash. Welcome back to Running the 40. Today, we are talking to former NFL wide receiver J.J. Burton. Burton was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the eighth round of the 1988 draft out of the University of Oregon. He spent the better part of his career in Kansas City Chiefs organization before finishing his career with the Atlanta Falcons. I have a lot of love for Burton as he was a small stature guy weighing 157 pounds and playing in the NFL for nine years. He was a speedster who ran a 4-3 all throughout his career from the time he got into the league from the time he left the league. He was a two-sport athlete in college, running track as well as playing football. Since retiring from the game, J.J. has become an, a motivational and opportunity speaker and trainer for all sorts of companies. And if you follow him on LinkedIn, you'll see firsthand how motivating and uplifting he really is. We talk all things Chiefs and what it's like to be a two-sport athlete and get his game picks on the Chiefs vs. Broncos game, as well as a story from the great Chiefs-Broncos rivalry. Definitely give it a listen. Hey, 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 everybody. We're here with uh, J.J. Burton, former Kansas City Chief receiver and obviously Oregon Duck. We can't forget about those days. Uh, J.J., how, how are you doing? Doing good, Marcus. How are you doing, man? Good, good. Just, you know, just trying to chug along here. You know, we got the uh, the football season. It's what hopefully continues. I know we're, we're having some hiccups here and there. But, uh, yeah, you know, just uh, looking forward to uh, every Sunday and every Thursday night and Monday night, too. So, yeah, I always say once we get into football season, the weeks move by faster. So you have things to look forward to. I know it does. And especially if you're playing fantasy football, it just seems like it goes by really fast. Exactly. Do you, do you play fantasy? Yeah, I do. Actually. I usually play, uh, I'm in two leagues. I host the league and I'm in another league. And it is funny though, because I've been playing about maybe 17 years, but I remember when I was in the NFL and people would come up to me and say, Hey, you need to catch more points for a fantasy league. And I'm like, what are they talking about? You know, but no, obviously, I understand it. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you, do you uh, get a lot of Chiefs players just because the connection? Do you try? I mean, obviously, everyone wants a Chiefs player on their team nowadays, but just in general. Yeah. I always try to at least get a couple because I feel I'm so in tune with what the Chiefs are doing. Um, like two years ago, I took Patrick Mahomes when no, or two or three years, whatever it was. Nobody knew who he was, but I knew he was going to start. And he took me all the way to the championship. And that was the first time I finally won. So so this year, I took uh, the running back, Clyde. Claire. Claire, yeah. I took him, again, because I'm like, he's going to play a lot. So he's, uh, he's he's doing good for me. Yeah. And that's actually one of the questions I have later on is actually about Le'Veon Bell and that kind of running back situation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so first question, you know, you spent four years of your career. Uh, am I right? Four years of your career in Kansas City? Five. Five years, five years. Now, what did it mean to you to, you know, finally see the team hoist up the Lombardi, um, I guess, in February now, a couple months ago? Um, what, what did it mean to you to kind of see Kansas City kind of on top of the league and now everyone looks up to them as kind of the model uh, team uh, this year? It's cool. It's awesome, you know, because I've been obviously connected to the Chiefs for years. And, you know, my years, we'd, we'd always make it to the playoffs, but we couldn't quite get over the hump. And then even, even after I left, they had some good years. Then I had a couple of bad years, 
But it's nice to see the organization really put together a winning formula with their coaches and their players. And it's so cool because it's a young team and they're just going to get better and better. And when you have a franchise quarterback, because I remember during my days, you had Montana, you had Marino and, and Elway and these great quarterbacks always took their teams to the playoffs. They were always in it. And to know that we have Patrick Mahomes, that tells us we're going to be always battling every single year competing for a championship. So I'm loving it. And I just hope that, you know, you know how when the Patriots won so much, everybody started hating them. I don't want people hating my Chiefs. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those franchises where people will say, oh, man, I'm so tired of hearing about the Chiefs. It's one of those franchises where you can't really hate it. I, I guess we don't, we don't have that like that, that figure on a team that's got a, hate, it's got a hateable, you know, character. Yeah. That Bill Belichick's a hateable guy. But, you know, he's got that like, he doesn't really talk much. He's the, he's, he knows the hoodie. And so it's like one of those things. Like, yeah, it's kind of the darkness there. It's really no darkness in Kansas City. It's just a, a bunch of loving guys. That's true. I mean, I've only heard nothing but positive things about Andy Reid. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes, he's just such a great guy, even off the field. And uh, they continue to put quality around him. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how long this run goes. Hopefully the entirety of his contract, then some. I know we're seeing what it, with Tom Brady's doing at 43, so hopefully uh, <laughs> a little of that magic in him. Um, but, but talk about the, uh, the the team this year. What, 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 what do you like about this team so far in, the, in this season? And also, we kind of talked about the running back situation, the acquisition of Le'Veon Bell. We'll, we'll see him maybe uh, for, for the first time on Sunday uh, if he's active. But what, what are your thoughts on this team, and what does that do to propel uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, this prolific offense already, and getting another weapon like that? What I like about the team this year is that they're winning, but they're not winning pretty. They're kind of winning ugly. And what I mean is that when you're a Super Bowl champion and that next season comes around, every team you play wants to knock you off. Everybody's bringing their best. And so that's why it's hard to repeat because it doesn't matter who you play. If you're a Super Bowl champion, your opponent's going to bring their best. And we recognize that right now. And the Chiefs haven't played incredible, but they're winning. And that tells me that they're still ironing things out. They're still getting things figured out and they're still winning. And so what I see, as long as everybody stay healthy, this team will just get better and better as the season progresses. And then bringing on Bell, oh my goodness. I mean, that was such a great move because I know from a player's perspective that Bell still has game. He, he's young, he still has game. And you do have to be in the right situation at the right time. And I know his attitude joining the defending Super Bowl champion that's already winning. We're going to watch Bell's performance go to another level, which is great. He's going to be a great compliment to Clyde. What's his uh, Clyde Edwards player. Clyde, Clyde Edwards. I keep brain freeze. Yeah, he's going to be a great compliment to him so that when Clyde's on in, Bell's going to be producing. But also, too, he's going to be a nice mentor to Clyde as well. And so watch what happens with Clyde's learning curve as Bell can really teach him some things that only he could really teach him. Right. And it's interesting you say that because, you know, you have all these experts on Twitter saying, oh, it's going to take away from his growth. It's going to hurt uh, 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 Clyde's uh, his confidence by bringing in another veteran. It, it's saying it's saying a lot about his play, but I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's more just about getting the most amount of talent on, on one roster as you can. And, you know, if it, if it helps, you know, mitigate the amount of carries he's getting, you know, as a rookie, 
coming out of LSU, he didn't really have that many games where he was the bell cow. They threw it a lot. He was dead, 10 to 15 touches a game. Now in the NFL, his first year, he's getting 25 carries. I mean, in multiple games, he's getting 20 plus carries um, already. And so that's kind of not what you want from the rookie right out the gates. I mean, is that, I mean, was that what you'd say about this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm pretty sure, I'm confident that Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy. They sat down with Clyde before this decision was made. They sat down with him afterwards and they reassured him, you're our guy. You're our guy. You know, Bell coming in is going to not only be a compliment to you, he's going to make our, uh, give us another weapon, but he's there to help you. So you pick his brain, you learn from him and see how, what he can teach you that'll make you even a better back. So I'm sure that they had that conversation with him so that he's mature enough to understand Bell's going to make us better. It's all about winning. But how can I learn from Bill? What can I learn from him? And I want to seize that opportunity. Did you have any players like that that were kind of mentors to you uh, in the NFL? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can remember when I signed with the Chiefs, um, my thought was always like, okay, who's the oldest receiver? Who's the veteran? Who can I learn from? Stephon Page. Stephon Page was going into his eighth year, whatever. He had already had a great career. Oh, and I used to follow Stefan around like a little kid. It's <laughs> like always in his ear, asking questions. And he was great. You know, he was great about that, of, of sharing his knowledge and, and making me better. And um, in Cleveland, when I was there, it was Webster Slaughter. You know, Webster Slaughter was only a year or two older than me, but he had already had a great career. And I was like in his ear learning from him. So, um, but what was interesting is when I got to Atlanta, I was the veteran. So I was kind of a mentor to some other younger receivers. So I made sure that I paid it forward because other receivers had taught me some lessons as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I kind of do want to talk about uh, your career here. Um, and this is something that, you know, as a, I, I ran track in high school and um, it's actually one of, one of the things I wanted to ask you on top of that. But is that why you're called Dash? Is that the Dash? Well, actually, that's actually my last name. And uh, when I would go to track meets, they would say my name on the loudspeaker. That the guys next to me would be like, "Is that seriously your name?" I'm like, yeah, that's that's my last name. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so back in the day when when you were when you were playing, it wasn't that common where you'd see smaller guys. So when people think of old school NFL, they think of you know bigger, broody, like physical guys, right? And back in the day, it wasn't that common where you saw tra smaller track guys like yourself. And I, I think just names of spitball and James Jett was one of them another track guy who played in the NFL, but how do you think the way like Tyree kill, he's a big track, big time track star in college and in high school, but how do you think you would have been utilized if you were playing in modern day football? I mean, how do you think, how do you think you would have flourished like a Tyree kill? Yeah. Oh, I, the, the, the way the offenses are today is one is one is the, it's different in terms of the DBs. The DBs can't do some of the things they used to do. They could literally almost maul us on the line of scrimmage and there was a lot more contact. You don't have that today. So the receivers have a little bit of a different uh, advantage there. But the offenses are still, they're like more in attack mode. You see more four receiver sets, five receiver sets. And when I played, it was three re receiver sets. And every now and then you might see four. So what I love about the offenses today and how I would have been used, I would have probably been moved around a lot because when I was with the Chiefs, even during my career, I was always the guy that would learn all four of the positions so that the Chiefs could always move me around. They can move me from X to Z to Y to H. And knowing how offenses are attacking defenses today, I would have been that guy, put him wherever you want, wherever you want to create the mismatch, and obviously give me opportunities to produce. So that's, that's kind of how I see it, because 
the Chiefs tried to move me around because Marcus, when I was playing, I was 5'10, 157 pounds. Right. And I'm a starter in the NFL. And I remember Al Saunders, our coach, would say, okay, we don't want you taking a lot of hits. So we're going to probably take you out of half of the runs, not all of them, because we don't want the defense to know that if you're in, it's a pass. But he said, we're going to do our best to always try to move you around and create mismatches. And so, um, so today, yeah, I, I would, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way they throw the ball and how often they throw the ball and the, and, the, and the coverages they played, I would have definitely been utilized well in today's offenses. Right. And then you also have the, uh, I guess, the plays that uh, any Reigns concocted over the years. I'm sure he didn't make these up, but he's kind of brought them back again with the the kind of the, the jet sweep where, where the quarterback just tosses the receiver as they come across. Yeah. Yeah. The jet sweep. We didn't even run that. We did the reverse. And when I was in Atlanta, they just started doing that receiver screen when, you know, you take one step back and they throw it. Now they do that a lot. Uh-huh. We were just starting to do that because we were in the run and shoot. So, so there's a lot of plays like that that are specifically designed for the wide receiver, especially a wide receiver, my size, little guy, four, three speed. So um, it would have been great to be in the offense. Plus they threw, they threw the ball more. They throw the ball more than they did when I played, you know? It's crazy how much the the offenses have evolved. Just the game in general, but how much the offenses have evolved. And a short amount of time, you look at it in the whole scope of things, what, like 20, 20 plus years? I mean, the offenses have evolved so much. It's crazy. It really has because when I played, you never heard of empty, where you had five receivers. There was nobody in the back. That was unheard of. And now every single team runs that at some point where the quarterback is back there by themselves and they got five people that go out, you know? So yeah, like you said, it's, it's really changed over the time. Yeah. And, and with, and with, I guess you running track, this is something when I, when I was, when I was in high school, my, my coaches who didn't like us playing, didn't like us doing other sports, which I mean, I, as I mean, you can read a lot in a lot of ways and see that most people go against that. So maybe it was just my, my luck in my high school, but Running track was specifically one he did not like. He was saying it would take away from your weights. You 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 would be going. You'd be, you'd be instead of uh, springtime weightlifting with with the football team, you're going running track. You're ta- that's taking you away from doing that stuff. But also, he was saying it would it, it would make you fast to a certain extent that wouldn't really translate to the football field. And obviously, you are a living testament of that not not being the case at all. Uh, yeah. And how how do you think track helped you on the football field? And this is to a lot of youngsters who you know who may have. Yeah. Coaches giving them these kind of like decisions where they have to choose one or the other, or they can do both. How do you think that at football a track helped? Yeah, them? that's a pet peeve I have about today's. I, that's a pet peeve I have today about today's high school coaches and their philosophy of what to do in the spring. Um, whenever I'm asked how can I improve my speed, I always ask the athlete, "Are you running track?" I think running track and field is one of the best ways to build up your speed to enhance your speed. And it definitely is going to transfer over into football. Like you said, I'm a living example of that, doing both sports. Because track, you know, we train differently. You know, when you're running intervals and you're running long, you know, sprint workouts and you're, you're developing speed endurance, mm-hmm. you know, and that ability to, and then learning how to come out of the blocks and that explosion out of the blocks and that drive phase and just, and just the mental part of it too. You know, running a workout of like, Eight two hundreds, you know, mentally you got to be strong to do that. Yeah. And then the competition aspect when you're on the line, and I ran the hurdles too. It's competition. You're running against you. You learn so many things from a training standpoint and a coaching standpoint. But most definitely, it certainly helps your speed. And 
And Marcus, one of the things I would do in my NFL career was I would spend during the off season at least a month and a half of just training like a sprinter. And the guys would kind of like, dude, you're going into your track season. I go, yeah, because that was how I maintained my speed. I came in the NFL running a 4-3. My last year, I ran a 4-3 because I always trained like a sprinter in the off season. And it totally transferred over into the football season. So coaches who say that, they're doing a disservice to those athletes because that athlete is going to be better equipped from a speed, a training, a physical standpoint by training with, even if they're not running in meet, just training and working out with a track athlete is going to make them stronger and better for football. Right. And I will say I ran track junior year. I didn't run uh, senior year because I had to get surgery on my ankle, but from junior year, my 40 time going into this fall, I guess going into that track season, I ran a four, seven, after that season, I ran a four, five, eight. So mm-hmm. it's like, I can't, I won't say it's all track, but like that has to, that has to help, you know, your knee drive. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a whole different way of training you how to run really. And that's whether you're on the field or on, on the track. Um, yeah. So yeah, I will say, you know, uh, and, and I, growing up, my brothers told me about you and James Jett. So I have, I have an older brother who's a Chiefs fan and an older brother who's a Raiders fan. So I had <laughs> these examples of when I was, you know, when my high school coaches tell me that they're like, Dude, that's that's not that's not true. You know, JJ Burton and James Jett, these are two guys from the NFL who ran track, and obviously they're amongst the fastest of all time. And so, okay, well, there, there you go. So um, yeah, and, and if you do your homework, most of the skill athletes who are in the NFL ran track. Right. I mean, now I don't know how it is today. I, I think it's still like that, but I tell you, like when I played stuff, everybody ran track. Every running back, every DB, every linebackers, that was the norm. Because if you want to learn how to run fast, you need to train to run fast. And where do you do that at? In track and field, you know. So but this is like a little argument I have with coaches today because they want their athletes to specialize. And, 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 and think of this. When you run track two, you could be creating another opportunity. I mean, I ran, I jumped in Oregon, also played football. So I had options. I could have pursued my Olympic dream or I could have pursued the NFL. So it was nice to have options in case something didn't work out. Yeah, uh, those, are, those are nice options to choose from right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so during your playing days, uh, from the, I guess the 1990 to 1994, you were in Kansas City, you got to play with, uh, I guess we all know, uh, Joe, Joe Montana, uh, who, you know, some could argue he is the GOAT of all, uh, the greatest of all time, the quarterback. And I have to ask. So from that point, before Montana, we had uh, Steve DeBerg was one of the quarterbacks that we had. We we we, we had a few, right? Yeah. When Montana comes over there. Would you? What, what was the kind of the mentality switch? And I guess I'm asking that question because I'm hearing a lot where the Buccaneers lost to the Bears last week with Tom Brady. Then a week a week later they come back and they look at this totally different team. A lot of people say maybe Tom Brady, you know, yelled at them the way he was yelling at them on the sidelines. Maybe this week during practice he got got at them. And I guess it, ta- it takes a goat right as profession to to do that to, to kind of have that spark to people did you kind of was there ever a time where montana kind of did that when you guys got montana it was like okay that is, this is a different quarterback we've never had someone like this before was oh, there yeah. was there that immediately immediately it was you knew you were playing with a whole different level of a quarterback and and i'm gonna tell you a quick story because <laughs> i knew on the first day the very first day of practice now first marcus 
I'm kind of enamored with the fact that I'm in the huddle with Joe Montana. I mean, I used to watch him in the eighth grade, you know, and, and then we had Marcus Allen too. So I'm like this kid. I'm like, okay, this is so cool. The very first practice, first play is X hook Z post. I'm X. So I'm like, I'm getting to a very first pass of the Kansas City Chiefs. So I line up on the line to run a 12-yard hook like I've done a thousand times. Oh. I get up to about 10 yards and Joe hits me in the back of the head with the ball. And I'm like, and I look at Willie Davis and Joe's like, come here. He goes, come here, kid. He goes, I don't wait for you to get open. I've already read the hole. I know where the defense is. I throw it before you get there. So you got to get your head around faster. When he said that, I looked at Willie and I said, oh, we're playing with a whole different level at a level because a lot of quarterbacks will wait. They'll see if you're open. Joe would throw it so early that you automatically had to learn to get your head around and look for the ball. But it was little things like that that told me that, okay, I need to step up my game. We all need to step up our game. But when we saw Joe's professionalism, how he prepared, how he performed, it immediately lifted everybody up. And I'll tell you, Marcus, we felt Joe was the, was the missing piece of the puzzle. We knew we, were got, we got a shot now to go to the Super Bowl. And when, you, when, when the team is, has that belief, it becomes contagious and it just lifts up your game. And so that year we went right to the AFC Championship game. And he, he was key to that. Was there, a, was there a moment where, I mean, I guess I talked to Steve Bono a couple of weeks ago. And he didn't really have much to say about it. He said Montana had kind of a fiery personality, but it, it was, he wasn't so much he, – he was kind of one of those fun-loving guys who you'd want to play with for him, right? Yeah. He wasn't one of those guys who would bark at you. I mean, he said, sure, there's moments of it. But were there any moments where there was like, oh, man, like, well, this guy's a little too much or, or, you know? No. Two years of playing with Joe, I never saw that side of him. Joe never screamed, got upset or whatever. But he led by example, and he led, he led in a calm way. There were times in games, like I remember we're in the playoff game and we're playing against Pittsburgh and the last drive, and Joe just kind of, come, he comes in, he can, he's, okay, guys, here's what we're doing. We're going to run this, we're going to run this, let's march on, let's, let's win the game. It was the way he led. He didn't have to, like, you dropped that ball, you messed up. No, he knew that um, if, if he did his job, we're going to do our job. And so his leadership was so different. It was like he led by example. And, and, and I appreciate that because I don't need, I'm the type of athlete, I don't need someone yelling at me. I already know I dropped the ball. I already know I messed up. I'm hard enough on myself. And I think sometimes athletes and coaches that do that, they don't always get the desired results, you know, because everybody is motivated and driven differently. When Joe came up to me and said, hey, JJ, that needs to be six yards. That's all he needed to say. And I made sure that next route was six yards. Wow. And I'm sure and the, the knowledge he kind of bestowed on you, I'm sure that you took that and became a better receiver and a better coach too to the, the oh, yeah. receivers that you took under your wing in the future. Yeah, I became a better receiver because of how Joe prepared. I watched how much he studied film. And I remember when he first joined and I would see him studying our offense all the time. And, and we had just brought, Paul Hackett, the offensive coordinator, who ran the San Francisco 49er offense, and Joe already knew it. And I'm like, Joe, why are you always, don't you already know this? But Joe said, well, JJ, I like to memorize half of the play. So when they give me the play from the offense, they on the sideline, they only have to give me half of it. I know the rest. He said, but to get this out of the huddles, 12 seconds more. You know what I can do with 12 seconds sitting at the line, staring at the defense? 
So it was little things like that that made me step up my preparation because when I get on the line and I've got to play and Joe goes black razor, he audibles, I better see what he sees because mm-hmm. he sees a weakness and I need to see it too. So it, it really helped me step up my preparation. I think that played a role in, in my success in the last couple of years. Wow. And it's one of those things, you know, I watched America's game growing up. I remember the, uh, it was the Bengals and 49ers, the drive. Mm-hmm. I remember, the, you know, the, the guys on the team, you know, it was about to take a long drive and everyone's, you know, in the huddle, everyone's so scared and they stre- stressed out. Right. You know, everyone's about, he, it's, it's all tense. He goes, you guys, you see that? Is that John Candy? And then yeah. everyone looks back at that. And, and the, you know, that kind of, you know, everyone could breathe after that. And they, they drove down, obviously the rest is history, but that's, I mean, that, that's a true leader. That's a guy I want to play uh, play with. Play yeah, with. and he did stuff like that. And when we were playing Denver Monday night and we were on that last drive, I just remember him how relaxed he was and he just was like cracking jokes and stuff. And I thought to myself, I said, this guy's been there, done that. This is nothing to him. He's done this a thousand times. And I just said to myself, you got to do your job because he's going to do his job. But, but it helps you relax and play when you have a guy like that, that, you know, He's been in this scenario before. Nothing's going to surprise him. Just get out there and do your job. And, and do you think that kind of, I guess, same kind of mentality with Brady's kind of rubbing off on these on these young receivers and, and with the Buccaneers with, with Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very similar situation. And Brady's even played longer. So if those guys really embrace Brady's teaching from his perspective, it's going to make them better. And, and that's what I hope. I hope those guys, you know, are coachable and not have the attitude, well, I've been playing four or five, six years. I've already, no, 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 no. It's because that's what I thought. Success leaves clues. What can I learn from Joe? I hope they have that same mentality. What can I learn from Tom? Yeah. Yeah. And so far, looking good four and two right now. Um, and that team's going to get better too. Yeah. That team is going to get better too. And would you say, I guess, having Brady come over there and not have a preseason? And everyone talks about from the, the rookies' point of view, the rookies haven't had a chance to play with each other or played in an NFL game. But a lot of these guys like Tom Brady, an acquisition like that hasn't he? It's just six games in, so by this point, he would already have at least uh, four, uh, four, ga- ten games already under his belt. You know, with preseason and all. But six games where they're playing, they're playing it live. You know, no preseason to kind of adjust and get acclimated yeah. with each other. How important is that? those the preseason and the training camp of that of that kind of rapport together with a new quarterback it's huge it's huge I mean you got to get in sync and on the same page with your quarterback and that's a process and it happens every single day in practice the games you know there's a whole debate on the games and all that stuff but I tell you it's 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 the off-season training program it's training camp it's running routes and routes and seven on seven and one on one it's getting that timing it's understanding how you play and, and where you're going to be and what you know it's just getting that unity and get on the same page and that's why when i see how the bucks are playing right now i'm like man these guys are still trying to figure each other out they're still trying to get comfortable with each other they're trying to get comfortable with the system if they stay healthy that team's going to be pretty good at the new year too yeah yeah, that's, and, and so far, I mean, four and two, you, you would think you know, that I'm sure they're happy right now and not having a preseason with, with a new quarterback. Four and two is that's great um, so far for them. Yeah. Um, so I kind of want to bring it back to today. So you and I are connections on LinkedIn. So every day I'm always seeing these amazing motivational posts that you have. 
Um, and also, as far, and you're a workout warrior, by the way. I, I've, I've seen some of these clips of you. Um, but kind of uh, talking about uh, what you're doing today. So what have you been doing since you hung up the cleats? Yeah, well, since I retired in 97 from the NFL, I kind of went through this period of time like, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? Do I want to coach? And I dabbled in coaching high school football. I coached three years of track and high school and I loved it. I didn't like, you've already mentioned one thing. I didn't like the discussions with parents and coaches about why my kids should not run track and why you should. I mean, these things drove me crazy. And I thought, wow, this, this is not like it used to be. So I decided not to do that. And I had a couple of businesses I ran forever, but um, now then I got into becoming a speaker and I love it because I feel that with my experience, and you know my story. I mean, I played nine years, 5'10", 157. I have not, Marcus, been able to find a player who had an NFL career as long as me that was under 160. You know, so that's, that's kind of rare for someone like me. But I thought, how many people have dealt with feeling like the underdog, feeling like the odds are against them, have dealt with obstacles and challenges? That's been my life. And so speaking gives me the opportunity to share that content to lift people up and help them understand, hey, anything's impossible, but here's what it's going to take. Here's what I get and so can you. So speaking allows me to do that and I love it. And like you mentioned too, I'm 55 years old, once an athlete, always an athlete. I still work out, I'm still taking care of myself. I had a lot of injuries from my playing days. I've had eight or nine surgeries and I work with a health and wellness company called Isogenics to keep my nutrition right. So, so what you see, me posting about, that's me, you know, because I'm a firm believer that if you're going to talk to talk, you got to walk the walk. So um, I really love the fact that we have social media allows us to touch so many lives out there. And that's what I love to do. Yeah, no, for, for sure. And I do want to ask this because I, I, you know, you see guys like the, the Rock, for example, who says he lifts now more than he, he, he lifted during his uh, during his wrestling days and his football days. Um, is that the same for you? Or are you, would you say you could lift probably bench more than what you could back in the day or? Um, that's a good question. I'd say a couple of years, uh, when did I finally, about five years ago, I used to kind of still go heavy and I was definitely stronger than I was in the NFL. Um, I've had a couple of shoulder surgeries, so I've really toned it down. I don't go as heavy anymore, but here's one thing that's interesting. I weigh now, I keep my weight around 170, 172. I did one time get up to 180 something. That's why I got on this nutrition program. I was like, that's too heavy. <laughs> but here's one of my regrets is that I wish that I had gained a little weight every year when I was in the NFL. Cause I always wanted to play a little heavier, like maybe 68 or maybe 70, but I was always worried about losing my speed. Right. And I probably wouldn't have lost my speed. As one trainer told me, one fit, um, strength coach for the Oregon Ducks, Jim Rackliff, he said, JJ, you should have gained a pound or two a year. So by the time you got to your eighth, ninth year, you would have been running around 170 or 72 and you've been able to play with that weight. So that's the only regret I have there. But um, but no, it's when I had my last knee surgery, Atlanta Falcons, Dr. Bishop said, JJ, don't stop working out. Take care of your health. And he said, you will delay some of the surgeries you're going to end up having. So that's, I never forgot that. And that's one of the reasons why I try to live a healthy lifestyle. So, okay, now we're going to go to the, the final segment, which is the, the final 40-yard dash. The show's running the 40 with Marcus Dash. This is the final 40 here. Um, I love your name. It reminds me of uh, the Incredibles, Dash. Yeah, that, 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 that's, the, uh, 
when everyone said when everyone's like oh, what's your name i was like uh dash and i like the incredibles like oh okay <laughs> that, that works that works <laughs> um so okay so you kind of alluded to it already but what was your uh, fastest 40 yard dash fastest 40 yard dash i ever ran was a four three three when i signed with the chiefs um and i would generally say between four three three and four three six but here's what's really cool the I had I tore my ACL ligament in my my rookie year with the Browns. Before that, I ran a four three nine. After recovering, rehab, working out, I came back and ran a four three three. My forty time dropped because of all the training and the weights I put in over that year. You know, so that was that was pretty cool to come back faster. Wow, when. When that happened, were you, were you training a lot before that? Did you already know your time was going to be faster by the time? That oh, yeah. Yeah, I could. I was doing a lot of intense workouts because I knew I'm a smarter guy. I'm a smart enough guy that knows that if the Chiefs are bringing me in and they want me to run a 40, we're track guys. What are we going to do? I'm going to train for that 40. Like right. it's the 100 meter finals in the Olympics. <laughs> so I prepared for it. So I knew I was going to run a fast 40. And, and that's a lot of times I would tell athletes, I'd say, if you know you're going to run a 40, then you need to create a workout that's designed to allow you to peak for that 40. Right. Because unfortunately, it matters to them and whether they're going to draft you and where you're going to be drafted. It really does matter. So I'm like, why not train for it? Who was the uh, fastest player you ever either went against as a corner or uh, played with as a receiver? I would probably say there's two guys I went against that were really fast. One was Daryl Green. Wow. He ran a 4-1-9, I think, and Deion Sanders. And, and Deion was interesting because, man, he had amazing catch-up speed. You know, you might beat him on the line and have him beat. And he was so fast, he would bait the quarterbacks and, like, give you a lead. And when the ball was thrown, he would close like that. And I could not believe how incredible his football speed was, you know? Um, yeah, really. It's, it's like whenever I was in a game, I could always tell I was faster than most of the DBs. But when I was going against Dion, I could tell he was faster than me. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and I'm sure he, he talked more than most of the uh, corners you went against. Yeah, he talked the entire game. <laughs> I played him, the first time I played him, we were in, I was in Atlanta and Dion was in Dallas. And he had been hurt the first game of the season. He hadn't played yet, so he, he's playing with uh, against us. And I knew what he was going to do. And let me tell you something. He talked the entire game. So my game plan, Marcus, was to not say a word to him. Uh, I didn't speak to him the entire game. At the end of the game, the fourth quarter, he goes, come on, man, say something. He goes, you're the <laughs> quietest receiver I've ever been around. I go, Dion, that was my game plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's funny because that, that's probably, he's probably wondering that during the game too. His mind's probably not only on the game, but he's also thinking like, what's this guy going to talk to me? <laughs> but what was interesting was the other receiver on the other side, my buddy, Bert Emanuel, KCC Caesar, he was going into his first or second year. And I said, dude, Dion's going to try to get in your head. Don't let him do it. So Dion was switching back and forth and Dion couldn't get in my head. And they switched over there. All of a sudden I hear, I see flags thrown and whistles thrown. He's fighting with Bert Emanuel. And Bert comes to the huddle. I go, man, I told you what he was going to do. He goes, well, I just couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> what Was that like the reputation he had? That, just, that everyone knew that that was, that was Dion's thing? Yeah, yeah. But you know what? He was the coolest guy 
off the field or after the game. He was so cool, so down to earth. So you kind of knew that when the lights came on, Dion turned to a different person. He was there right. to do his job. And I had much respect for him because he was so cool off the field. Yeah, that's awesome. And he's, and he's doing great things with uh, uh, Jackson State right now. Yeah. That's awesome. It'll be exciting to see the journey and see if he can really impact that program. Yeah, for sure. And the staff, and the staff they have is an all, all-star uh, staff right there. That's like a hall, that's a hall of fame staff. I haven't seen the staff yet. Have you seen some of the guys that are on there? Uh, Warren Sapp is the D-line coach, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, they have a few other names. I mean, Warren Sapp's one that stands out to me, but yeah. Cool. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so uh, next question. Uh, who threw your first is, – is, you, you'll get this in a second, but who threw your first touchdown in college? <laughs> I only had one touchdown in college. Uh, that, that was your only one? I had one touchdown my senior year. Bill Musgrave threw it to me. Okay, there you go. There you, you know, go. So, Marcus, my senior year, I had one touchdown, 19 catches. Those are not NFL caliber stats. Uh-huh. You know, and that's why I always tell wide receivers, don't worry about your stats. You just do your job and they'll find you. Was it because, was it not a passing offense or was it, what was the, was a scheme? What was was the reason? It was um, my senior year. I I twisted my ankle against UCLA. I think the third or fourth game, I missed like four games. And then we were rotating. um, We had some really good freshman receivers like um, Terry, Terry, oh, Terry Obi, Tony Hargay, two guys who did end up going to the NFL had short careers. So we were just kind of rotating around. I was a starter, but I missed those four or five games, and that really kind of hurt me statistically because I think at the first game, two games, I had like maybe 19 catches – or not 19, sorry, 10 catches. But, um, but that, again, was why I never thought I was going to play in the NFL. I didn't think I was going to get a shot. So even when I got the call from the Cleveland Browns, when Marty Schottenheimer called me, he goes, hey, kid, this is Marty Schottenheimer. I was like, who is this? Seriously? I mean, I didn't believe the NFL was going to draft me. I didn't even know who Marty was. You know? so, yeah, and I go on to play nine years in the NFL. See, this is, let me tell you something. This is something I'm proud of. Oregon has a great tradition. They have a lot of great wide receivers. I mean, you know, they've had amazing statistics. Excluding Ahmad Rashad, there's no NFL wide, there's no wide receiver at Oregon who went to the NFL that had as long as an NFL career as me. Think about that for a second. All these guys that are Huff and, um, you know, just all these guys that had amazing stats. Sammy Parker, you know, I can think of Sammy Parker and DeAnthony Thomas. Sammy Parker, great career, did not play as long as me. Uh, Patrick Johnson, great career, did not play as long as me. These guys had way better careers than me in Oregon. And the point, I'm not saying this to, to down those guys. I'm just trying to make the point. I tell everyone, don't worry about the stats. You just put in the work. You do your job. I said, when you get your shot, you got to take advantage of it. You know, so, um, yeah. I'm, I, you'll never see me anywhere on the Oregon record books, but I had a longer career than most of the receivers coming out of there. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, I, for a guy who's 5A, 160, you know, uh, I – that's amazing that you you that you had the longest career of all those other Oregon guys in a, in a short small stature. You know, um, that's that that's insane. That's something that I will be sharing this with my with my nephew. Um, stuff like this <laughs> is because you know he, he plays quarterback and he's probably going to be 
I hope I hope he's taller than me, but uh, he's a freshman right now. He's about five six. I hope he's taller than me, but he'll. That's what I was my freshman year, five six. Yeah. And and, and he and I told him five five ten. He would love that. But it's just one of those things that we get into this. We're, we're always looking for everything. We're looking at numbers and, and the metrics. Quarterbacks say, like, "Oh, you can't you can't play quarterback if, if you're not over five ten. And we're seeing Kyler Murray breaking that down right now in the NFL. But it's just people look at these. Oh, you can't play quarterback. You're this. That's it's it's ridiculous. We get to a point and where glad the game's changing where they're starting to get more guys who are, are the, the, I guess, a smaller stature like yourself. We're starting to get more, more of those kind of guys. But for the longest time, everyone's always been looking at metrics and these standard yeah. numbers based on what, you know, yeah. it's, so it, it's good that the, the game's kind of, uh, you know, going in that the right direction where it's not yeah. really looking at your size sizes you out of position. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't measure heart. You can't measure how bad somebody really wants it. And those athletes like that who fit into this category where you're too small to this, they got to make sure they prove people wrong. They got to make sure they do their work and that they give the coaches, the scouts, the teams, a reason to put them on the field, a reason, because think about everything that I went through, all the challenges, ups and downs. But when I got on that roster, I had to show them I could play. Right. And before that happened, I put in time in my training in my preparation, all that. So I knew that when I got that shot, I had to take advantage of it because if I didn't, they were going to say, oh, see, told you, you know, too small, told you. But no, I made sure they didn't say that. I made sure they were like, ask, <laughs> I can remember when the Chiefs came up to me and said, how would you like to start in the NFL? And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm just trying to make the team. They're like, no, we want to start you. And I started the last five years of my career. And I, I wasn't even, you know, I never even imagined that to happen. That's, that's awesome. That, and that, that, those are the true stories that like, that, you know, a lot of people don't get, don't know about these kinds of stories in the NFL. And that's, that's part of the reason why I, I, I launched this show is because I want to be able to tell the stories that people don't know about, you know, yeah. it's, it's these stories, um, especially, especially the young kids who don't, you know, they, they're, they're on their phones all the time and only they think football started in 2015. So. Yeah. Well, that's, um, you know, that's why I share what I share. I, I shared a post this last week on LinkedIn showing all the statistics of what it takes to make the odds of making it to the NFL. A lot of people don't even know that, even let alone, you know, the average career of the NFL player adds the average size. And so I share that to impress, to make two points. One is to help that kid, whoever's out there that's got that dream, forget the stats, forget the odds. You stay focused on what you got to do, but also to enhance my message to when I'm talking to people about what it's like to be the underdog, what it's like to deal with adversity and challenges and setbacks. I know from personal experience, you know, just implement the strategies and maybe you can have the kind of success you're looking to have. Right. Yeah, no, and for sure. And I, like I said, when I, when I go on LinkedIn and I see your posts, always motivation is always like, yeah, I, I feel, I feel better today after reading that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so next question, uh, your longest touchdown catch uh, came against the San Diego Chargers in 1990. Question is who threw that ball and how long was that catch? Steve DeBerg threw it. It was the third play of the game, and it was 90 yards. And it's definitely one of my highlights of my career. Because I remember that play. I remember it like it was yesterday because that was my first year with the Chiefs. And I remember we were working on that play during the week. And and Joe Pendrew, the offensive coordinator, he says, hey, JJ, we're going to have you over here. We're going to have Robbie go in motion. And he told us, he says, okay, Steve. Send Robbie in motion. He needs to be directly behind JJ 
So hopefully we'll confuse the DBs. They said, JJ, you take one step and you fly. That's all I want you to do. He goes, you fly. And so first play of the game, Christian McCoy gets stuck. Second play of the game, he gets stopped again. Then they call it. The weirdest thing about football is this. You practice these plays all the time. They never really go the exact way you expect. This play went exactly that way. Bobby goes in motion, they hike him. I stutter, those DBs split, and I just go, boom, and I look up and I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, so that that moment when I when I reflect on that, I think about the preparation during the week and how everything had to go perfectly, and it certainly did. And it was that was that supposed to be the game script? Was that supposed to be a third play coming out of the game or no? No, I didn't know. I didn't expect them to call it. It was kind of one of those plays that if we're in the right situation we're going to call it and it was the third play of the game and it happened so fast Marcus that when I saw the deep when Robbie goes in motion and I see the DBs confused on who to cover and I go boom and I take off and you see that ball coming it's like your heart jumps it's like oh my goodness this is happening you better take off and one thing I did know is that Sammy Seal was the fastest player on the San Diego Chargers and he's behind me and I was looking for him because I know that kid can fly. So uh, it was nice to make it to the end zone. Um, okay, so fast forward a couple of years. Uh, we're going to 1994. In 1994, you had four receiving touchdowns. You only trailed one other player in receiving touchdowns on the Chiefs. Who was it? Willie Davis. You know? Wow. All right. Was it Willie? Yeah, it was Willie Davis. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think Willie had about seven, six or seven. He, he edged you out by one five, five to four. Okay. Yeah, that was the frustrating. I'll tell you, that was the frustrating part when I was with the Chiefs. It's like we didn't like have a lot of opportunity to score because it was such a ball control offense. It's like if we scored, we really had to make something out of nothing. It was that was the frustrating part. And yeah, I think I could have caught 70, 80 balls a year, but this offense wasn't designed for that, you know. So um, so when I would see these guys catching all these balls, I would like, yeah, I'd like to catch six and seven balls a year. If I, if only, you know, if, if fantasy was more mainstream back in the day too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause it seems like, I guess kind of career wise, I would say like uh, you, you probably had more of like a Deshaun Jackson esque kind of, if you were to kind of like put it in today's terms, I guess, yeah. would you, would you say that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, you know, and, but it's weird because my career at the beginning, I was the deep threat. Then I changed into the guy they could move everywhere because I wasn't like the possession receiver, but it was like, I know that if we call these plays, we could put JJ everywhere. So I started catching a lot of medium routes, you know, from ends and curls and all that. And, um, and then Willie started going deep a little bit more than me, but that was just kind of the design of the offense and how things started working out. Yeah, and I was watching a clip from uh, it was this um, it was Steve Bono. It was a I guess his was it his first Monday Night Start. It was against the it was against the Dolphins. Or no, it wasn't his first Monday Night Start, but it was yeah. again it was a game where he broke the all time uh, passing attempts in, in Chiefs history. He didn't really yeah. want to talk about that game because it was a bad it was a bad game. But uh, I remember watching that game. I think you had you had a lot of targets that game and a lot of receptions that game. I don't I don't remember the numbers, but I just remember watching. It. I was like, oh man, I think wow. I had ten catches that game. Okay. Yeah, I think I had 10 catches that game, and I scored that touchdown where I kind of jumped around the cone. Um, With no score. Four-man rush. Bono stays in the pocket. And Bono fires. The catch is made for the touchdown. It's J.J. Burton. 
Oh, and J.B. Brown Ooh. slipped, fell, as a bird made the move to the outside. And that was a that was like a real a rare feeling for me. I'm like, God, ten catches, like you know, keep throwing me the ball. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, okay, so final question here. We're going uh, this week. Chiefs are playing the Broncos. As you know, it's one of the biggest rivalries. It'd be either yeah, I would say either Chiefs Raiders and Chiefs Broncos. Um, first question, prediction: Who do you think wins on Sunday? Do you really want to know? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Chiefs are gonna win. The question is, how bad are they gonna beat the Broncos by? <laughs> it's, a, it's supposed to be a snow game too. As far as the what, what forecast shows, it's gonna be a snow game. Oh, that could that could make it even more competitive then because you. You lose your advantages when you're a high-flying offense when you can't do some of the things you normally do when it's snowing. So that could be interesting. Mm. And uh, and la the last part of this question is, I, I mean, over the four years, that you, or five years you played with the Chiefs, what was kind of the most memorable Broncos-Chiefs, uh, I guess, rivalry story that you have over those five years? Well, one I would say is the five years I was there, we played the Broncos, um, I think, 10 times. And I, if memory serves me correctly, I think we lost to them eight or nine times. Wow. And, I, and, and it was always, Marcus, the same way. We would be leading. L.A. gets the ball with two minutes or less, and they would drive down the field. It was like the same scenario every single time. But that one last year when we had Montana on the team, it was a little different. And that Monday night game – is one that I see now. It's always on ESPN. But what I remember about that game, it was a classic battle, you know, but we're leading it towards the end, and then we fumble the ball. Then L.A. and them gets the ball back, and I'm thinking, like, oh, here we go again. Then they fumble the ball, and then somehow I think the score has changed. The point is, it was like less than two minutes left. We had the ball, and we're on, like, the 10 or something like that, or the 20. And all I remember is this. There's two thoughts I had. First one was like, oh, my goodness, this looks familiar. There's no way we're going to win. And then here he comes, Joe Monte. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We got this guy. <laughs> and it was like, okay, guys, we're going to run this. We're going to run this. We're going to march down the field. We're going to win this game. It's cold. Let's get out of here. That's what he said. And we marched down the field. And we won the game at the end. And that was obviously so memorable because of all the defeats in the past. But it makes a difference when you can look in the huddle and look in the eyes of the guy who's been there, done that. It certainly lifts up your confidence in knowing that you're going to win. Wow. And uh, was that in Denver or was that in KC? That was in Denver. It was that Monday night classic. And I remember the very last play. And here's what's great about that play. Last play of the game, two, three minutes or two seconds, whatever was left on the clock. And they called X corner. So I was the first read. So Montana goes back. I'm double covered. So covered. So he just gets off me and he scans and he hits Willie Davis, who's like the third or fourth read in the corner, only where he can catch it. He makes a catch, gets in, and we win the game. You know, and see, and that's the things that people don't see. They don't know that Willie was the third or fourth read. But that's what made Montana great, was that he had the ability to go through his progression, know where the weaknesses was, and throw it to the right guy, and he did on that play. Wow. That's all. And, and I will say, I, I guess, very differently, right, because we watched the game on uh, Monday night where it was the third and 12 at the end of the game where Mahomes rolled out. 
Iron Pringle, he's, he's running, he's running a, a five yard little hit, a hitch route. He sees Mahomes on the other side of the field. He he rolls around and, and you know falls his quarterback. Um, and I guess and Pringle's probably his like fifth option on that play. So si- similar, but it shows the great quarterbacks. They're looking, they're looking, they're scanning the field. They're looking for all their other options. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Montana and Mahomes are very different playing styles. Um, but yeah, just it it shows how how good the great ones are because they can they they. They look on their one and two reads. You know, most quarterbacks get flustered. They may get to take a sack or, you know, not 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 do that. So right. And 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 um, Mahomes, what is his fourth year? Is it his fourth year or third year? What year is it for him? This Fifth is year? his. This is his third year. Third year starting. Fourth year. Yeah. Fourth year. He's going to get better. He's just only going to get better. I mean, it's that's the thing that's kind of just gives me chills when I think about his potential is that he's doing all this and he's still learning how to play at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, so what we're going to see from him these next so many years, you're going to continue to see him progress, continue to get better because he seems like that type of athlete that's not content. How can I get better? Where can I improve? So I think some awesome years are definitely coming from him as better than what you've already seen. Right. Yeah. And as, as a Chiefs Kingdom, we've, we've earned it. So <laughs> yeah, I know. We we have earned it. I mean, come on, you know. And what was so cool was that I felt like I'm still on the Chiefs. You know, it's like last year was so special because I felt like I was on the team. It's like that Super Bowl was for me, it was for you, it was for all Chiefs fans who have been the, you know, we've, we've dealt with disappointment for so many years, almost just so close. So it was really nice to enjoy that. But I, I'm ready for a two, three, four, five-year run. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'll be seeing you at the parade next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, JJ. Well, thank you for coming on. It's uh, honestly, it's uh, to have you on the show. It's, it's honestly an honor. Um, and for someone who, as a kid, I, and I'll tell this funny story. So back in the day when it was dial-up internet, my brother would uh, go to Kansas City Stars message board before Twitter, all that stuff. So Kansas City Stars message board. His username was JJ Burden eighty nine. <laughs> and I remember logging on the computer and seeing this can't see star stuff up and seeing JJ Bird 89. I'm like, oh, who's, who's that? Um, I was, I was a little kid, but I was telling my brother that I was gonna, and that, that was my first of knowing who JJ Burden was. And then as I grew up, my brother showed me, you know, this guy ran track, this guy's gonna be a small stature guy, just like you, um, you know, using you as inspiration for me to, as, a, as a slot receiver for, for myself. But you know, my brother was telling me, I was telling him I was about to interview you today. It was like, you know, when I was like Kansas City Star message board back in the day, everyone always thought I was, they thought I was JJ Bird just because my username was JJ Bird 89. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's just funny how, like, nowadays you got the check marks on Twitter and stuff. Everyone knows who, you know, who JJ Bird yeah. is. Back then, JJ Bird 89 is like, oh, this is definitely him. This is JJ Bird. And so I thought, you, <laughs> I thought you'd find that funny. <laughs> That's really cool. You know, over the years, I've gotten on some of the chief message boards, and I, would, I think I used my name. Yeah, I have my name. And I always get the question, are you really him? Prove it. Who, who are you? And they would start asking me all these questions and I always knew the answer, but I always thought that was kind of funny because I'm like, I'm really him. You know? <laughs> this is me. <laughs> well, JJ, thanks a lot for coming on. I, I would honestly love to talk some football with you again in the future. Uh, yeah. If you'd be willing to come on. Sounds good. Thanks, man. And thanks for having me on. And, you know, let's, let's go Chiefs, man. Let's, let's close out and get another shift this year. Yeah, let's do it. Let's keep going. Let's start this dynasty. All right. All right. See you, JJ. Take care, Marcus. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.